Chapter 1. Blythe Soul and Dax Janner. Dallas, Texas. August 15th, 4010. 4 a.m. I am awakened by my internal alarm system, and all I want is to ignore it. I want to turn it off, roll over, and go back to sleep. The impulse to burrow beneath my thin, scratchy blanket and ignore the world outside the house I've taken shelter in is strong. Unfortunately, my internal alarm doesn't work that way and won't shut the hell up until I'm on my feet with my eyes open. I have the feeling that my alarm, which should only be heard by me, has also awakened Dog. I'm wondering if it emits one of those high-pitched screeches only dogs can hear. The furry bastard is licking my face with his hot tongue before I've even finished rubbing the sleep from my eye. I pet him on the head absently and stand, stretching the fatigue out of my human limbs. I'm still not used to reconciling my human half with the robotic additions gifted to me by the Healing Hands Department of the Restoration Project. It's especially jarring first thing in the morning. Half of my body takes longer to wake up than the rest. Eventually, I'm able to stand and give Dog a proper good morning. The wiry mutt looks up at me expectantly, his tongue hanging out of the corner of his mouth. His tail swishes from side to side until I go over to my pack and fish out a few strips of beef jerky. I still don't know what breed he is. Medium-sized, with ginger-colored fur, he looks to be a mix of Irish terrier and God knows what. He reminds me a lot of myself, a mishmash of different things. Black, white, girl, robot, we're both a conundrum. Dog leaps up onto his hind legs and spins in a circle for the treat, bringing a smile to my face, as he always does. I have very few reasons to smile these days. It's the only reason I keep the furball around, despite the fact that my situation isn't exactly ideal for keeping a pet. The muted mumbling of the television from the next room lets me know Dax is awake and watching the news. I also smell food, which means he's making breakfast. Rifling through my pack, I find a clean shirt and replace it with the one I slept in. I've only brought one pair of pants with me, so I'm glad they're my most comfortable brown suede. I pull on a pair of heavy wool socks and boots before reaching for my jacket. It's heavy with all the odds and ends I keep in the many pockets lining the front, but it's warm and functional. I grab the small pouch containing my toiletry items and walk into the bathroom, mentally thanking Dax for letting me take the big bedroom. While the house has been cleared of all furniture, with the exception of a beat-up couch in the living room and the bed I slept in last night, the power and water still run, as well as the heat. I fill my hands with water from the faucet and splash it over the dirty mirror, using the sleeve of my jacket to wipe a clean spot big enough for me to see myself. Opening the bag, I take my time with the essential grooming, brush my teeth, splash my face with water, and comb my shoulder-length dark brown hair into a ponytail. Once that's done... I brace my hands on the sink and stare at myself in the mirror. I keep looking for that girl who had dreams of joining the army and the ranks of the military police, of riding around on one of those sleek hover bikes and pinning one of their gleaming silver badges to my shirt, of being a hero, the kind of person people could look up to and trust, like my father. At only 19 years old, I have lost most of my optimism. That girl is gone. I am now the antithesis of everything she once believed in. Sure, I look the same. Caramel-colored skin halfway between my mother's white and father's black, brown eyes, beauty spot just beneath my left eye. Yet everything about me has changed. 
and it has absolutely nothing to do with the restoration project's accessories. With a sigh, I reach into the bag for my contact lens case. The single glass lens stings like a bitch on contact, and will hurt for hours after I put it in. But it protects my bionic eye from the police scanners, and keeps me safe while I'm walking the streets with Dax. There's no protection for my robotic arm, except for the polyurethane glove the professor constructed for me to wear over it. It looks like my other hand, and seals over the skin right above my elbow, where the titanium and gadgetry end and I begin. It repels water, is heat and cold resistant, and, more importantly, keeps me looking like the other normies. After a minute or two, the excruciating pain in my left eye fades to an annoying throb. By lunchtime, it'll be an irritating itch, and by the time I'm ready to take it off, I'll have gotten used to it.